0: Check for phone mic. Check for phone mic. One two one two. Check for phone. Check for phone mic. Now can you hear? You have the monitor. Welcome Moviology Nation.
1: This is Movieology, where we talk about movies, baby. With our monthly reviews, we talk you through the star-studded cast and hype for the underlying stuff in the hottest new movies, hits of the year, and favorites of all time. Now, here are your hosts,
0: Eric and Michael Yo. Welcome to all of our loyal listeners. This is Michael. This is Eric. And Welcome to Blueology. We're going to talk about... Miserables. Les, les Miserables, Les Miserables, which according to some <laughs> critics was not less miserable than another movie, go- movie going option.
1: It was, All a, right. it, was, it was an interesting movie, and it's an interesting movie on lots of different levels, mainly because it's probably the first musical that I've actually enjoyed, I, I think.
0: Well, and mention still, some musicals that you've seen that you didn't enjoy.
1: Think about the only, well, all of them. Um, but the, the only musical that I think I do appreciate is, is Fiddler on the Roof. I think that's, that's about the only one that, uh, and, and I like animated movies.
0: Are so, you talking about the Fiddler on the Roof, the, the film version? Or yeah. have you seen it? Okay. Yeah. I can't even remember who was the, who was the guy that was Tevya in that. I can't even remember his name. Anyway, but that's the one you're talking about, Bill, I guess, the classic one. The Bill. I think his name is Bill, <laughs> Bob, Bob. Yeah, but why? Why do you think Fiddler on the Roof was effective, and other musicals weren't? I think it was.
1: Uh, I don't know that they're not effective. I just, I guess, I just don't. I don't buy them as much as I do. One of the things I appreciated about about Les Mis is that it stuck to the musical. It it didn't and this is one thing that or one of the things that the that the critics bring up especially those that didn't like the movie is that it's it's all singing there's there's probably 50 words 50 spoken words in the whole movie I mean, other than that it is all singing and they're all very short they're like no it, right right it, yeah the instances where there is what what we might call real dialogue is very very few and far between it, it, and it it doesn't happen enough that you think, Oh, we're gonna we're gonna have a whole scene here of, of actual dialogue. Right. No. Um it, it stuck to the musical just you know, just like it would if you saw it on a stage. It's it stuck to that and I think I appreciated it more for that for that reason.
0: And they even did some things as far as the filming was concerned in order to increase that likeness as far as recording the vocals live, they didn't overdub the vo- the vocals right. for the
1: songs. Right and And also, because of that, some of the vocal performances are a little horrifying <laughs> um but and and you and I have talked about this before, I think that adds to the 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 authenticity of of a lot of things i mean not not everybody can sing a a a pristine song um a or or give a a pristine sung performance, but that's okay. those people sh- shouldn't be excluded from singing i mean you go to <laughs> You, some people might disagree with you, so. and and I would disagree with me when when I'm when I'm subjected to it. But um, but at the same time, when you go when you go to church and you sing, mm-hmm. I mean, you're surrounded by people that shouldn't be singing. Yes, but yet, but yet the whole the whole is a is not it's a it's a good experience when, when when all those voices are brought together somehow through all that cacophony of sounds, something beautiful emerges should
0: yeah so but there were definitely some performances and i mean really this movie they they were i think balancing between (laughs) balancing sorry uh balancing between two issues that you had on one side of it the uh, necessity for a good acting performance and then on the other side of it you had the necessity for a good singing performance right when you're on stage there's, you don't have close-ups. You, you have distance away from the faces and such like that. So the, the acting performance is not as crucial, right. actually. There, it's, it has a lot more to do with exaggerated bodily movements and exaggerated facial expressions, so there's not really a, to the same extent of nuance to the acting performance when you're watching it on stage. Right. But because of the uh, employments of you know, your, your normal cinematic... Uh, um, it
1: doesn't have to be as exaggerated.
0: Yeah, exactly. It can be a lot more subtle. Right. And so you can really see Anne Hathaway, Hugh Jackman, Russell Crowe, that they're decent. They have decent acting capacity. Yeah. But where you're losing out is that they may not have the same level of singing. Right. Capacity. Right. Um, I thought... And this is what's interesting is that I thought that the a few of the performances were especially effective even... Even though they weren't the most polished vocal performances. Um spe- specifically, I thought that Anne Hathaway's version of I Dreamed a Dream was extremely powerful. Even though the the vocal performance wasn't perfect. The the you know gasping for breath and yeah, the, and that's that's where her acting yeah was was oh, was very much put
1: on. I mean I've 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 seen Anne Hathaway in other films before and I kind of always think of her as this this young girl right. I think that was the first time I saw her her as a, as a woman right. That that I was that that scene really really kind of blew me away. Not for although it was very emotional it was a great scene. It was it was her kind of blooming into this. I mean, she's gonna be around for a while. Yeah. You know, she's not, she's not just a, a one trick pony. She's gonna be around for a while. And that was, that, that to me was, was an amazing moment. Um, and it is in her career. Right. Yeah. Right. And it is, and it is a very powerful, it's a very poignant moment in the film too. Yeah. And, and the, and the story. Um, and we'll, we'll get to talking about that in, in a, in a little bit about what, what the, what the music can do.
0: Um, but Another scene is Hugh Jackman's uh, performance right after he is given the candlesticks and he talks about, he basically makes a break with his old man. Mm-hmm. And again, I thought the singing wasn't great, right. but the acting performance was fantastic right. and it just worked. Um, and, I, and I thought also that Eponine, who was a better vocalist than a lot of the other actors, I thought, uh, she did a really good job. Um, in her on-my-own performance. Um, so those three were particularly, I thought, well done. And I forgave the spotty vocal performance of the, of Hugh Jackman and Anne Hathaway.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but I was not terribly happy with the choice of casting uh, Russell Crowe for Javert. Right. And it wasn't even that I don't like Russell Crowe as an actor. It's more that there's a sort of symbolic nature to the characters in Les Mis. Javert is probably the most symbolic of all of them. I mean, he symbolizes the law. And you've got Russell Crowe up there with his, you know, curly light brown hair and his, you know, round little face and his puppy dog eyes and it's like, you know, this is not really indicating the sort of chiseled hard, you know, stone-like quality of tablets of stone, which I thought that's kind of what Javert needed to be. No fault of Russell Crowe's there as such, but you do have to discuss whether or not the uh, casting decisions for this movie were made on the basis of star appeal um, rather than whether or not these guys were really capable of of pulling off the performance. You know, if they had gotten a no-name actor or a lesser well-known actor to do Javert, it might've been more effective for the sake of the movie as an art form, even if it didn't do as much to draw crowds in. Um,
1: Yeah. That one of the, one of the negative reviews that, that, uh, what it, and a lot of the negative reviews are actually quite humorous. Yeah. Um, because, because they, they, they bring up a lot of the true aspects of, of the movie. Um, but this is, <laughs> this is one of the better ones. Guy says, I cried tears of blissful joy when Russell Crowe threw himself off a bridge at the end because it meant he'd finally stop singing. But even that didn't stop him. All the dead people had to come back before the credits for one last encore. By the way, Crowe, you're the guy who played the gladiator. But now you live in infamy as the most awkward casting decision in Hollywood history. You reminded me of someone's dad who was tossed into the school play at the last minute after his son came down with laryngitis on opening night.
0: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All uh-huh. right. Well I, I I kind of agree with that. Yeah. Uh, I mean obviously it's a little tongue in cheek. But I do I do agree with that to some extent. And um I, I think it would have been possible to find good actors who are also good singers that could have basically balanced out both needs for the film.
1: But I think you would have had to look outside of Hollywood.
0: Probably. Yeah. And and I don't know that you would have been able to even look in Broadway. Because again, the, the, the issue in Broadway is definitely not so much balanced towards the acting capacity. It's much more balanced toward the singing capacity. Right, um, And for that, for the very good reason that most of the people who are seeing you are, are at least 30 feet away, yeah. you know? So it's like, you know, your, your acting performance is not necessarily as critical. Um, again, I've seen Lima's uh, at the Fox. I saw it, you know, performed. And I, I, th- I think that the performance that I saw, at least it was a good performance and I liked it more uh, in a lot of ways, than I liked the movie overall. I still think the movie was uh, successful, and actually, I thought it was successful. Most specifically for those few scenes that I mentioned, that if it had just been for those scenes, I think it would have made it. it they did make the making of the movie, uh, you know, worthwhile. Anyway, um, a lot of people, I've noticed this a lot. A lot of Christians want to go and see this movie. But every time I've seen any Christian mention that they're going to see it, they all, without any fail, will say, I really liked the movie, but don't take your kids. Right? Like, all of them mention that there are these more... Uh, um, or less than seemly scenes, you know, of prostitution mm-hmm. or... Well, Christianity
1: whatever. Today called it the most redeeming film of, of 2012. Hmm. Um. So, I mean, it it does... And in order to show redemption, you also have to show the depravity.
0: Well, in order to do it well, believably, I guess that's what you mean.
1: Right. Um, Well, they talk about that. Why?
0: Why do you have to show... Well, because, I mean, redemption is valueless without the true depth of the curse. I mean, if you don't understand, if you don't have any understanding at all of what it is you're being saved from, then the salvation message doesn't really work. You know, it's like, so some bad stuff happened and then you were saved. And it's like the, the first question is always, well, saved what? from what, 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 you know, what happened that, that made it necessary for me to need salvation. And I, I, I guess in movie making in general, you kind of see, uh, in Christian films that there is a severe lack of exposition of the true nature of the fall and the true nature of sin for obvious reasons um, because people are like, ooh, curse words or, you know, violence or any of these other things. These are these are bad and we shouldn't show them. So they just kind of skate over those issues.
1: Easily quantifiable
0: stuff. Right. Yeah, the super kind of, I guess, the, the more superficial aspects of, you know, what gets you the PG-13 or mm-hmm. the R rating, that kind of stuff. But then on the other side, you have the... Hollywood big names like Tarantino, who came up pretty um, majorly recently because he totally blew up in an interviewer. The a, a movie by posted something about it. it was pretty hilarious, but um, he was—he's uh, on the other side. You know, you have you—you you do have sort of a fantasy wish fulfillment as far as resolution is concerned, but you definitely don't have anything in terms of a solution or a redemption or salvation. It seems on his side that he almost glorifies and overexposes and even stylizes. Right, to the,
1: yeah, to the level of being cartoonish almost.
0: Right, yeah, violence and gore and, and you know all this kind of stuff, and, but doesn't offer the other side. Right. And so these are the, kind of the lackings on both sides of the film world. You've got the Christian films that really don't show the problem well enough for the solution to be satisfying, and then on the other side, you've got a well-established problem, but then a completely unsatisfying solution. I mean, if the, if, if a solution is even offered, it's almost always hollow. I mean, so hollow. More blood, right? Exactly. Yeah. More blood, and and so like you know, you have Inglorious Bastards or any other Tarantino film where the where the solution is like, how satisfying would it be if? Hitler ended up being in a you know in a box at a theater and just got shot up by machine guns. Yeah, yeah. you know, and like everybody's like, yeah, that's what I want to see. Right. You know, I don't want Hitler offing himself privately in some bunker. Like I want him in public in a movie theater, just getting shot up. Like, yeah, that would not, be sick. not just shot, but like sawed in half yeah, by exactly. machine guns. Right, <laughs> right, like, like, like grotesque. grotesque. you know, and, and so neither of those I think really work. And I thought that's where Le Mes. Took a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. It did expose uh, the issues, the problems, the the difficulties, the doubts, the struggles. But it also did point to the uh, redemption, the, the the biblical solution. Mm. You do have scenes like Master of the House, where Sasha Baron Cohen and Helena Bonham Carter, um, who who both do a great job. They do. They do a fantastic job. But that's that's one of those scenes where it does make sin kind of comical right right so you might see a scene like that and say well they're they are not glorifying sin but definitely playing it up for its entertainment value um but that is what they do yeah they sell sin yeah they profit from sin right but then you have to ask the question is the movie doing that in that moment which it kind of feels like it is like you need a little comedic relief you need a little lightness right so you throw in these uh, the way they played that character. It was it was gross, but it was comical, mm. you know. So it was stylized, uh, you know. And you may despise those characters, and yet I it's think like you do some people in real life, right? But I think that the director and the filmmakers definitely wanted that to be a little bit of lightness in the midst of a pretty heavy, sober film right. in general. You were supposed to laugh at them, Um, and I don't know. I mean, you you look back at you know medieval stage plays where even Luther said the best thing to do is to mock the devil, right? So there is some element where you could say, well, there's value in making fun of sin, but I guess there's a difference between mocking the sinful and making light of sin.
2: Yeah,
0: you know, and I don't know that the film was was really attempting to mock sin? It seemed more like here's some comedic relief. Like, well, yeah. it,
1: it also seems to do it in a, in an offhanded way, though, because I mean, that's not the what's what's their name the the uh, the the couple. I what's can't, their name in the film? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Um, something, something. Yeah, the something <laughs> somethings. Um, but they they figure in prominently throughout the rest of the film. Right. That you, you get introduced to them there because they're they have they have a cassette in their in their possession they're they're using her as a house slave essentially and that's when jean valjean first comes in contact with them but they figure prominently into the even even to the point at the end where where he's where he's dragging marius through the through the sewers right that guy shows up again still um the RDAs, RDA, yeah if, if that's how if that's how you say that in french
0: um <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. I only know one French word. <laughs> um Whatever. But it, it figures um I think
1: because they're they're so consumed with with making money, how, however that's possible, pickpocketing, ripping people off, whatever, that throughout the rest of the film that's all they're able to do. Yeah. That's even even to the point where they show up at the wedding of of cassette and right and marison to get kicked out you know it's it's like this is all we have all the only thing we have in life is to be is the ability to deceive and and try to cheat people out of a dollar right so in that in that sense they're not they're not glorified and and, and they are shown to be comical in that's all they have that's the, there is there's no sincerity there's no there's no truth in these people all they care about is the next buck that they can swindle out of somebody
0: And they are despicable. Right. Like, you do despise them. You do not... Even though you could say Helena Bonham Carter and Sacha Baron Cohen do a good job and, you know, they do as good a job with those characters as could be done, I think, you still don't like those characters. Right. Um, But here's the thing, too. I think they were a necessary foil because it brings up this question of what Fontaine did to get money, which was wrong, is that significantly different from what they did to get money, which was wrong. Yeah. Like if they were, if you consider them both being in a desperate position, right. The movie does set up a distinction between the moral content, you know, of Fontaine's actions right? and the moral She's doing it for cassette. And because she's doing it like almost like she's forced into that position.
1: Right. Where they they seem to be doing it willingly.
0: Yes. But at the same time, the social, uh, you know, the, the the socialist or the the social crusader in Victor Hugo might say this is this the place that the poor have been forced into. Hmm. Where yes, they're like thieves. I mean, even when you think about Jean Valjean stealing a loaf of bread because he's hungry mm-hmm. or because his friend is hungry, even more noble. You know, his, his friend's son is hungry, even more noble. Right. You know what I mean? So. And, and it's just like the scriptures say, you don't despise a thief for stealing a loaf of bread um, because you understand why he's doing it. He's hungry, and so he's kind of, quote-unquote, forced into that position, even though at the same time you would say what he did was wrong. Right. And he even says he will still be punished and have to repay sevenfold. you know So I don't know. Do you think that the movie—and this may be one of those issues where the movie— where the movie and, and movies like it, is it manipulating your emotions in order to get you to conclude something about morality that isn't right?
1: Yes, I think it is. And I think this is, this is example. You, you brought it up earlier that, um, in a, in a lot of ways, Javert exemplifies the law and Valjean exemplifies grace in a very simplified way. Right. <clears throat> and I think when a lot of Christians thinking simple thoughts, as Christians are often doing, they, they go and they see that and they're like, yeah, that mean old Old Testament God like Javert gets his, gets his comeuppance and he, he, has to, he has to jump off the bridge and kill himself because grace is so much greater. Well, there's grace in the Old Testament too. If If you're not finding grace in the Old Testament, read the Old Testament again. Because it's there, and you can't have the law of God without the grace of God. There's both, you, you, and you can't have the grace of God without the law of God.
0: Um, and yet, you can say that you are freed from slavery to the law by grace. So, I mean, there is that picture there too. I mean, maybe maybe modern Christianity overemphasizes it, and maybe even doesn't understand uh, the distinction between law as a means of salvation and uh, and the law as a gift from God for, for living, for right living or for sanctification right. or anything. Else. I mean, maybe we don't make the right distinctions, yeah. but there still is that concept within the scriptures of the grace triumphing over. Right. Law. Right.
1: Um, but in, in an article that he wrote for desiring God, Joe Rigney makes this point. It's the last paragraph of his, of his, of his article, which I recommend. It's, it's called, uh, lay miserable and the, in the law of God. It's on, it's on desiring God's site. Um, his last paragraph says, Remind yourself that the God of all grace, the God of astounding mercy, the God of ransomed sinners, reveals himself not only in Matthew and Romans, but also in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Remember that the world we long to see is a world in which we walk according to the Spirit and thus fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. Romans 8.4 Remember that it would most likely be Valjean, not Javert, who would echo David's song in Psalm 119, Oh, how I love your law. I think that's an excellent point. Yeah, that it's it's kind of a and this and this may have to do with um, with you know eighteenth or nineteenth uh, century German higher criticism. It's the law. And, uh, it, <laughs> the law is coming. We, we don't have much time. Um, uh, with, with higher criticism, making these these distinctions between the God of the Old Testament, the God and and and, and the graceful God of the New Testament. And maybe Hugo's buying into those things and making this 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 kind of caricature, you know, Javert as the as the hard, firm um, tyrant of the of the Old Testament, the law. And then you've got Valjean, but but Valjean does the same thing. I mean, he he struggles with the law, but 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 still exemplifies grace through it all while trying to be lawful at the same time. I mean, he he he. How many times does he does he tell Javert? I, I, I'll be back in three days, or 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 give me two hours, or, or he he's right. he's constantly giving him the opportunity to be the law, mm-hmm. and most of the time Javert doesn't doesn't buy it, right? Like, even in those situations where I'm giving you my, myself fully to you, let me take care of this one thing, and he still he just he just he he just can't comprehend grace at all,
0: right. right? But it's also important to understand the film and the the story is largely a parable. Mm-hmm. It might be a very realistic or, or, you know, complex parable. But as with many parables, one of the things that, you know, uh, an exegete will tell you is you can't really draw more from a parable than the point that's—the main point that is being made in it. You know, like, you read one of Jesus' parables, usually there's one main point, and uh, if you try and read too much into it beyond that main point, it starts to 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 break down because that's not the point. Right, you know? right. And so with, with Les Mis, if it's talking about as far as redemption, and it's talking about... Because in a lot of ways, Javert attempts to be redeemed through the law. Right, exactly. Like right. he attempts to to place his identity...
1: By being as lawful as he possibly can.
0: Exactly. Right. Because, and he, and he even says, there's like a little a bit of background there, that he was born from the low lives. Mm. And so his attempt is to... Climb the ladder to perfection, right. Through a just application of the law, so he's really operating that the law is a means to salvation, right? Just just like the Pharisees
1: were in in Jesus' day,
0: right? And so it is the case that as a parable, its main point is that grace triumphs over law as a means of, of redemption. That ja- that Javert ends in disgrace mm-hmm. and suicide. Right. Because he chooses the wrong means of salvation, whereas Jean Valjean, having been shown grace, is truly redeemed, and so in that sense, if you just take it as that simple point it's it's an effective parable
1: right but but you also're asking if 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 the movie sets up a a false morality in a sense, and I think it does it, in, uh, in that in that regard because is, it, it over applies it it sets up a false law and an unrealistic grace mm-hmm. as in which, which, which many Christians do. They they have they have the wrong understanding of the law, so they have a wrong understanding of grace. Right. And and I think that if if anything, if that's what you go into that with, it's only going to be reinforced. Right. And and if and if you're as a non-Christian hearing from Christians, well, well Jesus saved you from your sins. Jesus Jesus did all this and that. It's it's all of grace. Well, that's going to reinforce that too. Right. It's it becomes a lawless way. grace. Right.
0: Which mm-hmm. is not. Which is is not the grace that God gave us. Correct. Because Jesus actually did fulfill every jot and tittle of the law. Right. So, you know, God's grace that he gave to us was a purchased grace. Right. It's not a lawless one. Right. It it was based on on Christ's complete fulfillment of God's entire law. So, but, yeah, I mean, the, the, the revolutionaries that are overthrowing the law system that Javert represents are they they are definitely represented in the film as good.
1: Right. Well, in fact, Javert infiltrates them as one of them. Right. And then uh, it's, it's, it's the little, the little boy. I can't remember what his name is, but he points him out and says, no, that's the, that's the sheriff or the constable or whatever, right. whatever he is. And then he, he, he immediately becomes the enemy. Right. Um, so yeah, he, he does try to infiltrate as the law and, the revolutionaries are being a law unto themselves against the presiding law, and they're and they're seen as as the good guys. So, what kind of quandary does that leave us in?
0: Well, it, they're kind of seen as the good guys, and yet at the end, you know, with that seems any
1: doubt that they're portrayed I, I, that I, way.
0: Yeah, I know they're definitely per- portrayed favorably, and yet they're also portrayed as feudal agents of a feudal cause.
1: Yeah, but they're all but they're all singing in heaven after they die in the. Waving the Viva la France right? <laughs> flag, and and so I mean, what that is a that is a redemption by works there,
0: right? But see, that's where you get into Victor Hugo's particular brand of Christianity, which a lot of people, because they're so desperate to mm-hmm. find a film with any kind of Christian idea in it, they're kind of maybe swallowing Victor Hugo's perspective, hook, line, and sinker a little bit,
1: right? Which he, well, which he. Toward the end of his life, he claimed himself to be a free thinker. Right, and his his, uh, his obituary or, or his will, it was very very short. But one of the things he wrote in there was, "I believe in God," mm-hmm. but yet he didn't he didn't want any kind of Christian symbology or anything at his funeral or or his children's funerals. Right, because he, there's a higher law.
0: Right. See, that's the thing is the, the he didn't priest, want the religion of God. Right. He wanted the God. Well, no, and and even then, like the priest is not an agent of the church. He's an agent of the grace of God, which sure. is on some kind of higher level than the institutions of men. So, in some ways, Javert does not represent the French law as much as he does the higher idea of mm-hmm. law. Uh, you know, Jean Valjean is is not operating according to the law of the land. He's operating according to a higher ideal right. law right. that that he has access to as a quote unquote good man. Right, and. How does that happen? Well, what happened was the constructs and, and uh, tyrannies of the civilizational structures that had held Jean Valjean in and driven him toward um, uh,
2: debasement,
0: law-breaking, law yeah. have been removed, purged, mm-hmm. right? And so now he's able to access the higher law that is where? Where is this higher law? is it outside of himself? No, it's right. in him. Right. The higher law that he's seeking is actually in That's exactly in what, what his Romans
1: person. 6 says. When the curse of the law has been removed, obeying the law becomes a, a joy. Mm-hmm. It, it's 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 totally totally un unhuman like to think that. That okay, now that the now that the curse of the law has been removed, great. Now I can go do whatever I want because of the grace of God.
0: No, no. Now obeying the law becomes a joy. And yet it's still where does the law of god come from you know it's still you you do go to god you go to the scriptures to find it right it's not that you're saved so that you can get in touch with your goodness right so that you can finally follow the ideal goodness that's within you right which is an extraordinarily platonic idea sure. and you cannot deny the fact that hugo follows that line of christianity much more firmly than he does biblical christianity mm-hmm. and that is that you know plato what what were the sources of vice Poverty and ignorance. That's Plato mm-hmm. straight out of Plato. Okay. So if you can remove poverty and you can remove ignorance, then you will remove the, 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 you will basically remove all the reasons that a person has for being evil because then he will be able to get in touch with his true goodness, his inner goodness, because he'll have, he will at that point be able to put down the baser urges. Right? So is Hugo influenced by those ideas? Definitely, mm. definitely. Because why, why is Fontaine driven to prostitution? Why are all of these people driven to theft and, you know, a revolutionary spirit and all this other? Because of poverty and ignorance. Right. Because society. Because society yeah. has, has thrust them into a position of poverty right. and ignorance. And so in Hugo's mind, and he was a socialist to a large extent, he's, he, he, he was of the belief that, you know, if, if you were able to uh, be a compassionate state and feed the people, right, and give them education, that you would then create a moral society. Mm-hmm. And those, the, but those morals would not be based on some kind of uh, Judeo-Christian, you know, biblical idea of what the law is. It would come from within, right? The ideal. Natural law that is written on the hearts of men, according to Hugo, and is only uh, obscured by the vice created by ignorance and poverty. Right. So, remove ignorance and poverty, you remove the vice, and therefore people finally are able to get in touch with their tr- with their inner truth.
2: Right.
0: And I really do think that's pretty clear clearly expressed, at least in in the book form of Les Miserables.
1: Yeah, we. I mean, you get the same thing in, in Oliver Twist. You get the same thing in a really in a a, a Christmas Carol. I mean, it, you get this a lot in in these 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 nineteenth century works that this industrialized um, society has has just turned everybody into a, another cog in the wheel. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's and it and it's it's the man. It's the it's the guy with the dollar, the guy that owns the factory that calls the shots and everybody else is this hapless victim. Right. When they're, when they're all really willing victims there, there's, there's a sense where they're, they're not, not just doing things that that society forces them to do, but, but they also do it willingly. And it's, and it's always portrayed as the guy who's not willing to do what society wants him to as, as the hero, the antihero. Right. they you know, the guy who rises up and, and fights against against all the societal evils and against against the evil men but 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 the evils within. The evils the evils in the heart of man. It's in the each it's in right. each one of them.
0: So it's basically an inversion of the biblical model. Exactly. Where, you know, in the biblical model, it's not so much that society is good, but it's definitely that sin is from the inside. Society's not good because it's made up of evil people. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But sin is on the inside. Right. Whereas in the uh, you know, the socialist model or the social crusader model, which Dickens was definitely a part of that sure. as well. And Hugo as well. Change the society, you change the people. Exactly. Because sin is in society. Right. You know, the, the evil is in society and, and, but people are basically good. Um, that, I mean, that's largely the idea you have there. Um, and okay. I mean, you can't, when you're going through these kinds of things, you can't just discount the fact that the state, In France, was extremely tyrannical, and there is the idea that you know there is much uh, profit, uh, you know, in the in the land of the poor, Mm. but uh, tyranny or oppression uh, wipes it away, right? right? Like takes away the possibility of 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 that productivity being of any benefit to the poor people. Mm You know, so there is the case that you have this oppression and this tyranny from the French state at that time, and in a lot of different states around that time, and from you know the 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 people, the factory owners. Some of them were decent human beings right. who treated their uh, factory workers well, like Valjean. Like Valjean. Yeah. Some of them were not. Mm-hmm. Some of them treated their factory workers very poorly, and you know were interested exclusively in the bottom line. Right. And so. Definitely, these social crusaders were fighting against things that were, in fact, bad things. Right. It's just their solution for it wasn't really, as we can see, <laughs> the right solution. Right. Because even after you give, uh, you know, like, just look at the Russian system, how that developed. It right. was the same basic thing. You know, you have, like, Tolstoy, who I would consider on the same level of as a Hugo and a Dickens. He was just the Russian version. Um, who his ideas got a lot of traction in Russia and so finally the, the the poor oppressed you know proletariat worker people you know rose up and you know took possession of the factories and took possession of the government for themselves and then what happened the evil within came out exactly. and exactly the same thing or worse happened right. right you know that that the tyranny of the of the soviet system was as bad or worse actually in many ways, than the tyranny of the imperial system that preceded it. Right. Yeah. So, some,
1: some animals more equal than others. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Animal Farm. Right, and so I, I think they didn't necessarily, though, and you gotta at least tip your hat to them and say, "I'm sorry," but they didn't have the uh, they didn't have the view that we have. Like we've seen Soviet Russia. We, we, we've we've seen how it happened. Yeah. you know we've seen uh, communist China, we've seen North Korea, we've seen North Vietnam, we've seen all these things where, where people with similar ideas to Hugo tried to put, put those things in place, and it does not work. Right, and it does not work because of the fundamental flaw in it, which is that people aren't actually intrinsically good. Right, that's the main problem because it is the case that socialism and communism. Would would work if people were good, right? It doesn't take that
1: that that main point into into, <laughs> right. into consideration that man is the problem, right? Uh, not 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 social constructs, not not, right. not society, man, but, but each
0: individual, right? In his heart, is selfish, yeah. And, and and he and you can't get rid of that selfishness even by feeding him or educating him, right? In fact, you sometimes make a m- greater monster, right? Uh, through education and and uh, through goods. So, I mean I mean look at the United States. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. Um but yeah, there the, so so there's that flaw there and I definitely think it's in the movie. Um it's definitely in the story mm-hmm. and, and I, I think it needs to be taken into account and I at the same time, while I can say as the main point of the parable is a valid one, there are a lot of uh, implications to the the arguments that are being presented in Lay Miserables that um that are flawed, mm-hmm. and that you can't just receive it altogether as a one hundred percent, you know, Christian film right. worthy of like you know absolute veneration or whatever. Well,
1: I, I found it interesting today. I read um, that Hugo's oldest daughter—I don't, I don't remember her name—but it was his. That was his. That was his favorite child. His oldest daughter. And she drowned at the age of nineteen in the Sign River. Hmm. What does what does Javert do? Throws himself into the sign river. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think there's, there's personal experience there with, with, um, with Hugo writing that into the story specifically, almost kind of like exercising his own demons, you know, throwing the law, throwing the, throwing the, 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 the epitome of this, this oppressive law into the sign, just like his, just like his, his beloved daughter was taken away from him by the same, mm-hmm. by the same river. So I thought I thought that was kind of interesting. I mean, I I don't know that the, that it stated anywhere that that's exactly what he was doing, but but I think there's there's probably some some decent evidence that 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 influenced the way he wrote that.
0: Right. Well, did you feel for Javert? I mean, in the movie, did you did you understand where he was coming from? Did you, did you feel like, oh man, I feel so bad for the guy? No,
1: no, I, I completely agreed with 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 what with what this with what this guy said that that. that he threw himself off a bridge, but it that he, because it meant he finally stopped singing. But even that didn't stop him, because he cause he comes back at the end, and he comes back with all the revolutionaries swinging the flag at the end, right? You know, so it, it is it is kind of a bizarre message. Like, well, what are you exactly trying to say, right? Um, well, well, even what, if what it's what a is,
0: hangover, the question is, what does it mean, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, but but it's but it's it's definitely implied that that's where they're at. Because you know Valjean gets gets led away by Fantine, and the next thing you know, they're on the barricade, swinging the flag, and and the revolution has been a success here. We, and, it, and it's still a messy, crappy France. You know, it's oh, it's it, really it's, dirty. It's, it's like it's, dirty, as as, as ever. If that's if that's heaven, you've been led astray. Yeah. Um, but but it's but it's just not. It is a very universalist message. Yeah. So, like what. Okay, you've got you've you've got Javert here, and maybe what happened is, as he was falling off the bridge, he exercised his demons real quickly, and 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 came to an understanding of grace. Splat. You know? Or maybe <laughs> even his
0: suicide was supposedly his rejection of his old path. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that is a very it's lame. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> That's totally not cool. Yeah. Um, but I much prefer Jeffrey Rush's performance of Javert. Um, it had the calculation meticulousness, the compulsive uh, quality, the, just the kind of bodily and verbal tics mm-hmm. that made you think that this is a sort of moral accountant, and he is going to keep track of every jot and tittle. Whereas with Russell Crowe, just because of the drawl of him, just his movements, everything, there's just this fluidity to it. It just did not have that same quality of you know hardness and compulsion. Um, yeah, anyway. It was very much a a,
1: a caricature performance it was it was just kind of like we need this this plot device in our story, and oh look, there he is, you know here, here, you sing these songs and and be our plot device and right. and that's and that'll be good enough because right. the story is really about valjean um, but but without Javert, that
0: story is not as compelling right
1: and this is this is one of the things that i don 't think i I brought it up before, but I think one of the things that that the musical really allowed to happen. Um, And you, you get a sense of it in the, in the, in the, in the film version, Mm -hmm. but it's, but it's less overt when everybody's singing. It's, it's, it's kind of like their thoughts, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're, they're expressing uh, verbally what their, what their inner thoughts are. And I think that did a really good job of, of making the main character who I view the main character of the whole story as being visible without being visible, mm-hmm. and and the main character is God. Everybody in the story is shaking their fist at God for some reason or another. Daljean is trying to figure it out as, as he's going through. But I mean, even even Javert in in certain of the songs, he he makes reference to God. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so God is a very important part, at least in the musical. I don't I don't know how how much he figured in with the narrator in the in the original story but it makes God present Mm -hmm. because they're not singing to you. They're not singing to the other characters. They're singing to someone Mm -hmm. that's off screen. And that's God. God's God's there listening to their, to their pain, to their, um, to their, their, their inner turmoil, you know, whatever you want to call it. And that, that made for me, that made, that made him way more present than, than a, than a dramatic presentation does. Like the, like the movie with, um, what was the, Who's the guy that played Valjean in the in Liam the film. Neeson. Liam Neeson, which which I thought was a great movie. Yeah, I um, thought it was good. But I but I think every 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 version of Les Mis goes downhill at least to some degree after that first scene with with the priest mm-hmm. when when Valjean comes and, and takes the silver, gets caught, and comes back. That that scene for me is is like the money scene. Yeah, because because the priest just. He had the audacity to say that you gave it to him. Well, I did, but you forgot, the- and you forgot the candlesticks. Yeah. And and it, and it's just it's just such a it's so counterintuitive even to a Christian. Yeah, you know, like wow, that's a powerful scene. But man, would you do that? No, probably not. Yeah, I, yeah, we got the criminal. Yeah, mm-hmm. lock him up. I mean, it's it like comes second nature to the priest to just say, oh yeah, yeah, I gave it to him, and that's that's kind of like Rahab's lie. Yeah, it's it's serving the covenant of God, not the covenant of of. Of man, it's it's being faithful to God's covenant because he even says with these candlesticks, I bought back your soul. Right. I bought I for whatever I purpose. For God. I don't even know what it's for, but I'm doing what God called me to do, and I'm buying back your soul. Mm-hmm. I bought you for God. That's powerful.
0: No, it is, and there again, there are the the I dreamed a dream yeah. scene, uh, and there are tons of scenes in that film that are legitimately extremely well done. Right. I mean, just like. And 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 it's not even just the film. It's not even just the musical. It's Hugo. Yeah, you know, like back there, wherever you want to say he right. was. You know, he he. There are some scenes that are extremely right. powerful. He wrote a powerful ripping. story. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and that is one of the few. That's that's you've got to give him props because this story has been adapted in a lot of different right. ways, and it's hard to kill. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to kill this story. The musical, even done badly you know it, even when you chop out things and i mean cuz this is a ridiculously long novel yeah. right i mean even but when you have that story the main structure arc of the story it it, it does work mm-hmm. well like it's a good narrative mm-hmm. and um you know so yeah so that that's cool what what do you think as far as uh, i wanted to talk about this at a certain point as far as depictions of evil how how should christians go about this like okay, let's say you're a Christian filmmaker. You know, forget watching film for a second. Just as far as a Christian filmmaker, how what what how far is too far? Where's the line? Is there a line? Is it a superficial line or I mean it, what's the deal here with as far as depictions of evil?
1: Next question please. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but okay, so let I mean, let's dig into it a little bit. Like the scriptures has it, you, you have scenes in sure. the Bible, right? That if you were to depict them uh, graphically, right, would be as they do very when you graphic.
1: read them and you depict them in your mind, right? You think about them,
0: right? But like, let's say, like Ehud, you know, and it, like it talks about how the the refuse of his belly like poured out over the sword as it was plunged into him, yeah. and he was also on the toilet at the time. <laughs> yeah. So there's like really nothing about that scene that isn't just gross right Right? now it's it's obviously it's written down is it okay to write something but not to show it you know what i mean is there is there some dividing line there or would it be okay to depict a scene like that as graphically in film as it was written Mm -hmm. which is to show the 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 refuse of his belly flowing over the hilt of the sword as it plunges into his stomach
1: yeah, um short answer is 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 no. I don't I, I don't think so because then we're we're elevating one medium over the other. So you it's, think it would be okay? I think I think it would be okay on, on the surface. Now how how that looks and you you put that in the hands of five different directors it's going to look five different ways. Yeah. Um I don't I think we're arbitrarily putting lines where where god didn't didn't put lines when some things are horrific whether you see them with your eyes or you hear them with your ears or you feel it with your fingers or or or, or whatever there's just some things that are that are that are truly horrific and in a sense need to be experienced in order for the grace that that that, that god offers to be real
0: okay I mean, you you but you don't have to necessarily be explicit in order to evoke the same sense whatever of that the means, experience.
1: Whatever explicit means. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I've, I've, I don't know if I've ever said this story before, but um, I know I've, I've, I've told you about it. When they were making Hotel Rwanda, that, that movie originally got an R rating. Mm-hmm. Because there's a scene where all these um, – was it in Somalia? Where, where were Uganda, they? Uganda, wasn't it? Or Uganda, or Rwanda, the, or
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hotel, Hotel Rwanda. Rwanda. Oh, yeah. I can't believe they it. were. Edit that out. <laughs> they,
1: they were where there. Th- th- there was this massacre of 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 all these um, uh, peasants, essentially, and and they're they're just littered on the street on the on these on these like off off the path roads, and they're driving actually literally over the bodies. They didn't because there was so much fog and there was so much smoke in the air, they didn't know what they were driving over. They hear this sound and the driver says, what is that? So they stop? um, Don Cheadle, whatever his character's name, gets out and finally the smoke clears a little bit and he looks down and he sees they're driving over human bodies and they've, they showed a scene where the wheel, the front wheel of the car crushes somebody's head, a, a dead person's head. And that was too much for the, the rating academy they said yeah that's what's going to generate you an, an r rating and i th- i'm not quite sure how that works because I, I didn't think that they always told them the particulars of why they're giving them a particular rating but in this scene or in this instance they knew why there was getting an r rating and they said if you if you make that if you take that out we we, we can give you a, a different rating so they made it just a sound oh it's still happening yeah, we're still driving over people. We're still crushing their skulls, but you're not seeing it. You're hearing it. That's PG thirteen material, but watching it is R rated. That's totally arbitrary. Yeah. Why is hearing something as opposed to seeing something better or or, or not as bad? I don't know. It's totally arbitrary, but, but yet but yet we can all kind of look at that and say, yeah, that's true. I'd rather hear it. It's it's not as bad hearing it than seeing it, but it is.
0: But it it actually because is you visualize in some ways it. just as bad. Because Whether you see it depicted on the screen, you're thinking it and you're visualizing it in your mind. Because it brings up that issue of indirection. Um, like, the classic example, you know, the probably the classic example in cinema is in Psycho, where uh, Hitchcock, you know, the way he directed it, it's completely indirect. You've got the knife coming yeah. up. And the knife going down, and you have the you know violin strings, you know, and you've got the blood. Somebody squirting blood from offside. Yeah, and then you've got the you know the the dark blood going down the drain, and so you know everything that's happened. You just didn't. You didn't actually see the see knife it. actually go in. And in some ways, it's more disturbing yeah. because of that, right? And so then the question comes: Well, if that's more disturbing, then that's a better evocation of the horror of that. Uh huh then then would be the case if you were to explicitly show it right so but then- I but I think that's an argument that, that that will never
1: be resolved because to some people actually seeing the knife plunge into into the woman would be more horrifying than than, than just imagining it. It, it it's it's an arbitrary line okay it's a it's a subjective line because so even think- even if you think that that's actually better and and what your what your mind is thinking you I mean, you've kind of convinced yourself of 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 your own presuppositions that you know Christians that think, well, there shouldn't be nudity in movies. If they go see a movie where there's there's five hundred instances of the Lord's name taken in vain, but no nudity, then that was a, that was okay. You know, they've convinced themselves of their own standard, and and that's what they that's what they weigh everything with.
0: So there's sort of like this mixed bag morality. Oh, of course, that's very superficial. Yeah. So but for I, a Christian filmmaker, you do have to take that into account. You do. And but I don't think you're ever
1: going to play or else you're going to end up with this super sanitized movie that that doesn't really say anything. You can try and hint at a bunch of stuff, but you have to be a pretty good filmmaker in order to be able to hint, in order to be able to make themes subtle to be able to do that. So you can't it's and and I don't think Christian filmmakers are that experienced yet. They they have a hard enough time writing screenplays where they just, they just, they just want to show everything. And the worst thing that, that the Christian character can do is miss his devotions for that morning. You know, then he has this inner turmoil all day long. Yeah. God hates me. I didn't read the Bible today.
0: You know, that, I, don't, was, I don't know that it's that, I mean, that, that might be a, a, a little bit harsh, but I'll give it to you. Okay. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs>
1: You know what I'm saying? It's it's just it's it's this sanitized version of and, and I and I agree, you don't have to I mean you don't have to show every single thing.
0: In order to evoke the same right. idea. Right. And in exactly. fact, sometimes indirection is more powerful. Yeah. The implication well, is more powerful.
1: This is something that we've that we've talked about um in little bits and pieces, but the but the TV show Breaking Bad. I think it does a really good job of showing just how far just how depraved an individual
0: can go without showing it. Except for it may not be terribly edifying even still. Well, yeah, but but what do you In the sense that it doesn't at least supply any overarching narrative or any transcendent truth that allows you to, to that gives you the categories for interpreting that information.
1: Yeah. Although it assumes that that a redemptive story has to have some redemption at the end of it.
0: But I mean, I don't know because I haven't seen whether there is, but, uh, but for a Christian filmmaker is, do you think it's the case that Christians need to be a whole lot less squeamish about these things in order to present the truth? Yes, I would, I would agree with that. But what what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know either. But, But I mean, okay, so let's say you have a character and I mean, we dealt with, we've dealt with this, you know, uh like curse words. Mm-hmm. I was just stick with curse words for a bit. Um, you know, what people would consider bad words, the F word, the S word, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Okay. Um, if you have a character and in real life, I mean, if you've ever hung out with non-Christians, you know that they drop the F bomb everywhere. Right. Right. So if you're trying to accurately depict that kind of character, is it permissible to write his character in a way that he uses those words.
1: I think it's dishonest not to, but let me, let me play devil's advocate for a yeah. minute is because you've got people saying, well, we know that that's how bad people talk. Do you really, I can go to the mall and hear the kids talk that way. Do you really have to show it in your movie? Cause we know that's what they're saying without having to actually hear it. When I go to the theater, so but, what, do you, what do you say to those people?
0: Because there's, there's a sliding line on that as well, though. If you're saying that a Christian movie or a Christian song or Christian art should be generally uplifting, and that's just not uplifting, right? Well, then what about the very many instances in the scriptures that are downright not uplifting, Mm -hmm. right? That are depressing even. I mean, do you just avoid those sections of the Psalms that talk about dashing, you know, blessed is he who dashes the child of the unbeliever against the rocks or whatever, you know, this kind of stuff. Like, you just leave that out. You know, you leave it out, or you reinterpret the scriptures to say, "Well, yeah. that's the psalmist being, uh, you know, uh, like base." Yeah. Well, most you Christians know.
1: are shocked to find those those verses are actually
0: in the Bible, right? You know, but or, or like in the King James, where you have these familiar idioms to the Hebrews, like uh, where okay, even okay, even in the King James, let's talk about Sennacherib, right? He says he says to the people that are on the wall while well, they're rebuilding it or whatever, he says. That when we come back, we're not going to leave one man pissing against the wall. That's how that's how uh, thorough yeah. our destruction of your civilization is going to be. Now that's not, he's obviously an ungodly person, and so the Bible includes this idiom, this Hebrew idiom that is expurgated in uh, you know in a lot of translations. But right. in the King James, you still have that. Right. You have you have that idiom there. You know, and and I don't know. I'm sitting here thinking. And there are tons of things like that in the scriptures that we have uh, expurgated. Yeah.
1: Well, well, the Bible doesn't hold back. The Bible shows sin as being sinful, and it it shows it in in all aspects. It shows JL driving a tent peg through what's the yeah, guy's the through the guy's head, Cicero, Cicero's head. Um,
0: that's graphic.
1: You know, that's that's Tarantino esque. There. I mean that's that's not that's not shooting somebody with a gun. That's straight up direct contact, metal in my hand, plunging it into somebody else's skull, and then using a hammer or a rock and driving it deeper yeah. so that he's stuck to the ground.
0: And that's hardcore. It is but hardcore. It's hardcore, but... But it's biblical. It is biblical, and there is a uh, there's a sense, there's a real sense in which you, you have not expressed that scene accurately without that kind of graphicness. Without, right, you know, without that kind of so, if you were, let's say, if you're, a but that's see,
1: that's a that's a type, that's a type which is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus crushing Satan's head. Right. So I mean that that graphic, you know, squeamish thing is exactly what Jesus does to the head of the serpent. He drives a tent peg to be. He he crushes it. He he nails it to the ground so it's not moving. Right. I mean, it's the serpent is dead, dead. It's dead. not. It's not just. Not just partially dead, he's dead, he's done. I mean, it's Actually over, dead. yeah. So, I, I mean, you've got that shocking um shadow in the Old Testament that when when the reality comes, when Jesus does what it was prophesied, what he was prophesied to do, it just it the reality just becomes that much more amazing. And so, you've got the 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 horrible bloody picture in the back, but the but the bloody picture of Christ crushing the serpent's head becomes glorious,
0: right? Because of that. Okay, so I so you're saying, and I would agree with you then that all you Christian filmmakers that are loyal listeners to movieology. Both of you, all all two of you, <laughs> need to go out and with your screenplays, we need we we need that kind of realism, right? I mean, it, we don't have it.
1: Well, don't hear us saying we need more debauched films.
0: No, 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 no. Not that's not <laughs> what I'm saying. But but this issue of depicting sin As sin. As sin. Now, obviously It's it's a it's a very hairy issue because is. you, you want because you don't want to go Tarantino on it where right. there's an obvious bloodlust there and right. like you truly Ninety five minutes of blood exactly. and five seconds of hey, hey <laughs> it's all good that. now. They're all in heaven. Right. No, no, you don't want that. Right. But at the same time, I think we've gone far, far, far to the other direction and and fallen into error on the other side of Mm -hmm. it, where we're afraid we are afraid to depict sin accurately. And because of that, I mean let's just talk about well, let's talk it on both sides. If you're making a film and you're using it as a way to present the truth to a person who doesn't believe the truth, if you if you don't frame the problem accurately. If you don't frame the distress and the doubt and the struggle and the pain of living an unbelieving life accurately, well then your gospel message doesn't mean a whole lot. So that's on one side, that's to the unbeliever that's watching watching your films or reading your stories or whatever. And then to the Christian, do you really think that a Christian doesn't go through those doubts, those struggles, the pain and so even there, it's like, if you leave out the framing of the problem, then you lose the possibility of either convicting the unbeliever or of edifying the Christian. Sure. And I think it's a major problem. I and really do. You end up communicating to no one. Yeah, exactly. No one's benefited. Right. There's nobody that's receiving any benefit from this because you've missed on both sides. Right. And so even if Sherwood were to say, well, we make movies for Christians— our main point is well, not, do. right, but our main point is not to make movies for unbelievers to draw them to Christ, but rather to edify Christians. You still haven't done a very good job of edifying Christians right. because you haven't dealt with the real issues that, as Christians, you still deal with, which is that even though Christ is the head of your life, you're still struggling through this mucky, dirty, you know, destructive, painful, platonic. <laughs> Worldview thinking that everything physical is bad. Well, is that is that the cause
1: of it? I, I think it's got a lot to do with it. I think it's got a lot that 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 you know in this in this world you're going to sin. You're gonna you're gonna and, and it's all these things. It's it it's the the easy availability of pornography. It's it's uh, curse words in movies. It, it's all these other things that that are that are causing you to be sinful, like wrong. You know, you you are sinful because you are a sinner, right? It's not all this stuff that's it, – it, it, it becomes the legalism argument again. It's, if, if all this stuff wasn't here, if we just got rid of pornography, men, men, wouldn't, men wouldn't rape and kill. They, they wouldn't lust after women anymore. <laughs> you're, you're definitely living in a different world because that is not the case. That is not true.
0: Um, you, you, and in fact, it is the spirit of lust in men that creates the market for pornography. Absolutely. It's like, you know, that's the problem. If you want to get rid of pornography, just get rid of men. <laughs> that's the easier solution. But that's not to say that pornography is good by any means. No, no. But but it's to say if you want to deal with the issue. But it's an easy object.
1: It's an easy thing to point at and say, if if we could just fight to get rid of that. Then, then everybody will be better off. Well, no, because men are still going to seek pornography in different ways. If you get rid of every on the internet and in the magazines and wherever every every
0: uh, representation
1: of of a naked woman, guess what? They'll, they'll still still think about it. They'll still have it up here. So you've got to reach the heart,
0: it, it, right? Obviously,
1: yeah, yeah. And so, and and you've got to kill the desire inside of each individual. And the, and the global desire for it will eventually go away. But, that's, but that's, a, that's, a, uh, that's a hard sell because that involves work, that involves responsibility, that involves things that, that, that most Christians just aren't willing to do. Like, well, can't, can't you put that in a, in a tract that I can hand it to somebody and, and just make it easy for me? Right. No, there, there isn't an easy way. It, it involves work. It's a hard, hard thing, and it's, a, and it's not just going to be solved in one lifetime. Or in one generation, right? It's it's a it's a long term goal.
0: Yeah. So I mean, one of the major reasons why you think about this depiction of evil is again, you, why, why I was thinking about it is, Les Mis definitely does depict evil. And what's interesting is it's not made by Christians, right? So it's but, almost like they felt free to, you know, to to have these scenes where there's prostitution, thievery, uh, you know, um, yeah. But I think violence. in a lot of ways. They they
1: represent it well. No, I, mean, I know it's, it's not graphic. No, no. I mean, it's definitely implied, right? Um, to, you know, to the adults know what's going on. I, I guess probably a lot of the kids understand at least some degree, but nothing's shown. There's there's no at least that I remember. There's no actual nudity, right? There's I don't even I don't even remember if there's any really harsh language or.
0: Probably, uh, you know, I, yeah.
1: I, I mean, it, but but it's but it, it deals with. Hard issues and it and it deals with 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 what um with what's in the heart of man and, it's, and how it comes
0: out. It's saved to some extent by being a parable as well, right? Because there's a sort of symbolic nature to the characters, whether they're peasants or lawmen yeah. or you know factory owners or whatever they may be. Whereas if you were doing a an explicitly realistic, non musical, you know, like Cohen Brothers esque mm-hmm. type um, film, you wouldn't be able to get away with the indirection as easily mm-hmm. um, because it would feel like you were avoiding things. Right. Whereas in the, in lame is because of the, the parabolic allegorical nature of it, 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 it feels legitimate. Like mm. it feels authentic. So, but you know, if a Christian had made, this is a question. If a Christian filmmaker had made this same movie, would they have been willing to, um, really expose these things to the same extent? I would hope so. You would hope so, but I'm saying, do you think, I mean, do you have confidence that that would be the case? No. No, I don't either. I don't either, and I think that is a major problem. That's a major issue, because we, bo- we can say here, and we can even say to the people who might go and see Lemas that the filmmakers for this you know, movie did a good job of depicting the baseness of mm. sin. And then at the same time say, but Christians didn't make this movie. And if Christians had made this movie, they may have avoided things that were necessary for the structure of the narrative. And that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> that's a bad sign when that's the case. And it's a bad sign because uh, let's just say, you know, stick with the Bible, Christian filmmaker going out, stick with the Bible, tell tell a biblical story, tell a biblical story. And, and I mean, it doesn't matter the story. You know, it just go from the beginning to the end and just tell the story, and you're going to have, at, at, at every moment of the Scriptures, you're going to have things that you're going to have to avoid uh, in order to keep from you know, getting yourself yeah. a PG-13 rating. You oh, know what I mean? Head out chapter thir- or verse 13. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I guess 14, too. Yeah, was, and we'll just <laughs> skip over that. In fact, let's not do this. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and the question is, at the end of it, have you even told the story accurately? Have you even done it well? And so that that would be my challenge, and and that is the challenge for Christians to to regain their salt, because I think that to a large extent, Christian artists, Christian filmmakers, writers, songwriters, etc., have um, have lost that saltiness. Yeah, and when the salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing.
1: Right, to be trampled underfoot. Right. Um, yeah. So that's that's a. Pretty sobering point to end on, but it's but it's a very necessary point. It's Something that that each one of us, as viewers or potential filmmakers, need to be thinking about. For sure. All right. Well, we've reached that all important point in the movieology review where we give it a rating. <laughs> and uh, my my rating for Les Mis is is like I said, this is um, you know, musicals are are definitely outside my comfort zone. I'm generally not a, a big fan of musicals. But in this case, I guess if we're going on five stars, I'd give it between three and a half and four stars. Um for for taking a very complicated story. It's still a long movie. Yeah. Uh but it but it's but it 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 tells it well and it sticks to the musical format the whole way through. And that's something I appreciated. Is is it, it had it had all the uh I guess all the benefits of, of going and seeing this on the stage, without all the hindrances, like like the screen goes dark for a minute while they while they reset the props and, <laughs> and everything. I mean, you're actually seeing kind of what the what the um, screenplay's what was going on in in his mind. This this song leads into this song. This song leads into this song. There's no gap in between. So I think it was it was it was it was really like seeing a um, a screenplay on the big screen um, or a a uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Not a screenplay. What a a stage play on the, uh, on the big screen, you know, it had, had all the benefits of that. And um, yeah, with, with the, uh, with the ability of being able to edit. And um, I I think for that, it worked, it worked well. I was surprised at actually how well I did like it. Um, Two hours in, my wife was ready to leave and I I wanted to see how it ended. So, Um, so that's, that's definitely a rarity.
0: All right. I, I tend to agree with that. I'd give it probably three and a half stars as well. I thought that the acting was good. And in particular instances, the acting was so good that it made the movie worthwhile. But there were definitely some some draggy parts. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, um, in many cases, the strength of the movie and the weakness of the movie was in the same thing, that it stuck to the musical. So the parts of the musical that I didn't really like, I didn't like in the movie, obviously. The parts of the musical I did like, I thought were done pretty well. Right. Um. I But I also... I think that the singing could have been better. Right, there were parts where, especially when Hugh Jackman was singing, that was the particular worst one of it. Where I just felt like it, it sounded kind of like a screeching bird, yeah, a little bit. And uh, you know, and I think that so if there are people out there who love the musical and have seen the musical a lot, you might appreciate a lot of things about the film. But I think that there are going to be times when you feel like nails are being scratched on a chalkboard kind of right. thing. And again I think that was a major decision on the part of the producers to just cast people who would be able to draw a crowd rather than going with people there may be people out there who are good actors and good singers right. you know but, but to also
1: stick with the with the with the singing that they did during the filming Right. They, yeah. they were, I mean they didn't at least as far as I understand they didn't overdub much of it. No. So what you see them them performing and singing there is that's what they were doing. That's, that's what they did. Yeah. So um that's good and that's
0: cool you know it 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 works really well they
1: stuck to the form
0: yeah but it didn't work in some places right you know and and honestly that the music for les miserables is so good Mm -hmm. i think it's one of the it's seriously is some of the best music for a musical that i've ever heard um it's extremely powerful It, it it tells the story even melodically and that was part of the problem. I felt like the melodies for certain of those songs were slurred because the singers just really weren't hitting yeah. the notes. And so I was I was missing out on some of the glory and grandeur of, of the music, which I think is really good. So that's a little bit of the weakness. But overall, still, even in spite of all that, I'd still give it three and a half stars.
1: Hey, that's it for this episode of Movieology. We'll
0: see you next month. Thanks for listening.